This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Terry Walters, President of the National Pork Producers Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Minnesota's Terry Walters next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 445 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Justices on the Supreme Court have heard the arguments from both sides of the issue regarding the constitutionality of the California Ballot Initiative, known as Proposition 12. The measure sets housing and production standards for all pork products sold in the state, regardless of where it was produced. Terry Walters is president of the National Pork Producers Council. The Minnesota swine producer was impressed with the process. They were extremely active. Got to give lots of credit to the justices that they had studied the briefs. They were very versed on the subject. They quizzed the attorneys from both sides extremely hard. And so I think they really do try to sort out the information to make ultimately what I think is the best decision that uh, impacts us from a constitutional standpoint. And it really appeared to me that they didn't focus on the emotion and uh, they really tried to stick to the facts. And, you know, our case is really built off of the dormant commerce clause that uh, California essentially is trying to regulate the uh, sale of pork uh, from outside its borders, and uh, that's what we just feel as producers is wrong, and, and that's the unconstitutional part of it. So I, I felt really good about the way things went, and um, uh, certainly uh, lots of credit to those that uh, sat on the bench. Terry, how will this affect pork producers if Proposition 12 is allowed to stand in California? So because of the way the proposition is worded, pork sold in the state of California will have to be compliant with that regulation. And so pork producers are going to have to make a choice about whether they will spend the money to renovate their facilities in most cases for producers, whether they will spend that money to upgrade to meet that uh, regulation uh, for Proposition 12, which requires us to have 24 square feet of sow gestation space, of which that's there's no scientific evidence that's the right number. Many sows are housed in uh, 16 to 20 square feet today in loose housed operations. Not all house, uh, farms are loose housed, but those that are, 16 to 20 square feet. So now we'll have to add another 20% more building and more space for that sow. And then the part that's most troubling to me as a producer is the fact that I'm no longer allowed to use individual sow housing during the breeding period. So very traditional is that sows get weaned out of the farrowing house, they go into breeding stalls, 
And then in those breeding stalls, we uh, mate those sows and we leave them there until they are confirmed pregnant. And so that is a very aggressive time uh, when hormones are high in the animal. Uh, the animals need individual care. It provides us an opportunity to do that. And so the welfare of the animal, the safety of the worker is extremely important to me as a producer in that phase of the breeding period. And California's uh, proposition will restrict us from using that. Is there any study, unbiased studies, that suggests another 20% of space would be beneficial for the animal? I am not aware of any additional, any study at all relative to that. And that's the part that uh, I feel that's just an ideological decision. It's arbitrary number. And who's to say that we comply with the 24 square feet like it's suggested and five years from now they don't say, oh, now you need to do 28 or you need to do 30 or some state makes a different decision. The challenge we have as pork producers is we sell our pigs to a market. That pig then gets processed into different cuts and those cuts go to lots of states throughout the country. But we have one state that has decided they want theirs done differently. And that's our challenge with the, the uh, Dormant Commerce Clause, that where is it going to stop with different states and different regulations? So you led me to the next question then. How does, and I realize you're a pork producer and, and, and not of the processing industry, but what has the processing industry shared with you, or what challenge does this present for them of determining what pork would go to California and what for the rest of the country? And And to that point, we sell, we raise individual pigs. That whole pig is delivered to the processing facility and then it's fabricated into many cuts. And so loins might go one way, bacon might go another. Hams, we know our, our trade partners in Mexico try, are, uh, use a tremendous amount of ham. Well, they're, they don't, aren't, they're not asking for a Prop 12 compliant ham. And so that is the challenge we'll have as producers. We'll have to segregate product. The processors will have to segregate product for all these different uh, criteria, and it just becomes extremely cumbersome in the system, not to mention the fact that, like I said earlier, the rules that they're, they're uh, imposing in the regulation are not scientifically backed. So, Terry, this is to the bigger issue, and you've already alluded to it, but I'd like to single it out. If this state ballot initiative is allowed to stand, then what precedent does it set for the future of policy for the nation for either crops or even livestock? And that was questioned very hard during the hearing, is that they questioned labor laws. They questioned whether companies could, the next step could be the fact that uh, in order to sell products into California, maybe all of your employees need to be vaccinated. And it becomes very arbitrary as to what the rules uh, will be in the future. And so that's our point of arguing the Dormant Commerce Clause and the fact that California wants to regulate pork production within its borders. That's a different discussion than regulating it outside its borders. Did the judges' questions for either side seem to indicate where they were... Uh, most uh, leaning with regard to a decision? You know, I'm sitting there uh, thinking that they are questioning very hard. I mean, I felt good about the uh, line of questioning. 
they questioned our site extremely diff- hard, but they also uh, questioned the California side. And and they referenced, you know, is it California just because they're a big economy? Would the state of Wyoming get away with the same push if they tried to do it? Uh, they, they questioned about um, fairness amongst other states, about amongst other products, not just pork. The, the discussion was largely about pork, but at the end of the day, it's about business. And I think the justices really are in the mindset that they want to make the right decision for as it relates to the Constitution, and they want to make a decision that will be a long-standing precedent that we can follow going forward. Is this the only ballot initiative that you have faced or are facing? Uh, are there other items at play right now that might affect pork as well? Yeah, so there's another one in uh, Massachusetts, and uh, it's called Question 3, very, very similar to uh, the Proposition 12, uh, but we were able to file a uh, uh, lawsuit in the state of Massachusetts, which we were then granted to stay to uh, essentially stop that process until the Supreme Court rules, because essentially it's the same process of a decision is one state going to be able to regulate commerce through that state. And in Massachusetts, the challenge you have is the, the uh, Massachusetts is the kind of the gateway to the New England states. And so they have a transshipment clause in their initiative that product that flows through the state of Massachusetts, if it's going up into Maine or Vermont or New Hampshire, it has to be compliant with Massachusetts law, which those states, they didn't have any vote in that law. So again, you got one state trying to regulate others, and we just feel that's wrong. Terry, let's let's move to a, to a broader issue. Then you had some support. Uh, the National Pork Producers Council, uh, joined by the American Farm Bureau Federation, and and challenging this matter. But you had a number of other commodity organizations that chimed in. What do you say to them? I say it's uh, great to have the backing and the support. Uh, there again, I would say this particular issue, because it is so broad, um, we had support from uh, both Canada and Mexico. We had support, as you mentioned, from Farm Bureau, great partner through this process. We've had support from the Retailers Association, from the Restaurant Association, all kinds of uh, related businesses that I would consider great allies and partners that see this as being uh, a wrongful action and uh, couldn't be more supportive of their uh, help and backing. Terry, I may be drifting more to the philosophical, but stay with me if you can. Uh, A week before the waters of the U.S. and the jurisdiction of land that would fall under the Clean Water Act was before the justices as well. Now, it appears to me that's a question of whether a piece of land is or isn't. Is it black or is it white? And there was a question of that. Proposition 12, though, seems to be rooted deeper than a definition. I even read comments suggesting that the Humane Society was challenging the morality of the way that hogs are raised. Is this a moral question? They're using that uh, as their argument, and I think the thing that most people probably don't realize that we as producers work very, very hard every day to take care of our livestock, and uh, no matter what sector it's in, not just the pork industry, we work with uh, side-by-side with our veterinarians. They have basic standard practices of management that are supported by the American 
Veterinary Association, and we live that every day. And so the challenge that was brought up in the courtroom is apparently California has a different opinion of that versus Iowa or Minnesota or North Carolina. And uh, I can just honestly say that as a producer, the productivity that has happened in my career of what a sow is able to produce in her lifetime is nearly doubled in uh and that that doesn't happen by neglect we work very very hard every day to take care of these animals because at the end of the day if you don't they don't do well and that ultimately doesn't reflect well on you as a producer so i couldn't i couldn't disagree more that the morality side is just it's just it's an ideological philosophy it's it's not science-based how have you been raising hogs terry uh, interestingly enough, I started when I was a boy in uh, high school and had a few uh, purebred animals and have worked my way up to where I'm at today. But uh, essentially, uh, I'd have to do the math, but let's just call it, it's going to be close to 40, almost 50 years now. So over, 40 years, sorry, 40 years. Okay, so over a period of four decades, have yeah. you and your family changed the way you raised hogs to help them be Absolutely. more productive, uh, to help them be healthier? Absolutely. And, and uh, again, another misknown uh, fact is that we moved animals inside to provide a better environment, better control measures. The controllers that ventilate the buildings in our, in our operation today are more sophisticated than what you have in your house at home. Uh, it's, it's cold and, and it's wintry in Minnesota. And I'll tell you, the extreme conditions that animals would have to endure outside where I started as a boy, that has changed dramatically. And we provide great environments for both workers and the animals in uh, in modern agriculture today. This is a bold question, but would you sacrifice the health and well-being of your animal just to make a dollar? <laughs> Absolutely not. Not even remotely ever part of the consideration. We take care of them every day. We're with them every day. It is it is amazing to see how you get bonded to livestock. So when do you expect a ruling from the Supreme Court? Speculative. Uh, they think maybe around uh, January to February that we'll get uh, an opinion back. So I think we got a little lag time in there with the holiday, you know, through the month of December. But uh, surprisingly, not that far away. So another question. So we're super excited about it. <laughs> super excited about it. So another question to your history, and now speaking as well for the pork producers that you represent, how much effort have pork producers and how much effort has the National Pork Producers Council put toward the sustainability effort of not just raising hogs, but also raising hogs in the environment? Yeah, so great question, because we've put a lot of energy into that to try and monitor uh, and reduce our water usage, our overall carbon footprint. That's an ongoing process that we just recently were granted uh, funds from the government to help study that in a more um, uh, scientific manner. But back to my earlier question and comment that uh, if I have to go along with Proposition 12 and go to 24 square feet, it's going to take more energy to heat the buildings. I have to build bigger buildings that just cost more for no no added reason. So arguably, we're going to go backwards from a sustainability, increase our carbon footprint if this proposition goes forward. 
if the Prop 12 issue stands, how does that affect the, the, the small producer, the family farmer that's still trying to, to carve their way into this business? So I think the challenges you'll have with uh, small independents, some very small independents that maybe raise pigs uh, outside in dirt lots, et cetera, they'll have a place in the industry. I think it's going to be the middle tier producer that uh, really struggles with this process, that uh, they're going to have to invest extreme amounts of capital to move to this uh, uh, type of uh, production system and with that in mind they're going to have to make individual decisions about whether they can uh, withstand that capital uh, investment and there again you've got products that are going to be marketed into the state of California that other states are not going to want to pay the bill uh, to um, to produce that so it's going to be extremely challenging for producers to sort that out as we go forward, and ultimately, I, I, my fear is the consumer at the end of the day is the one that's going to pay the, the penalty. Terry, let's drift to some other issues outside Proposition 12. Um, when I talk to uh, Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall, he continues to remind me that the real number one issue in agriculture is labor. H2A is a part of the solution, but, but what do pork producers need from Washington with regard from labor? So what really pork producers need is access to more labor, and I mean labor, not just numbers. Uh, numbers are helpful, but we need access to year-round workers. Pork production is a very complicated but, but yet intense uh, labor system, and uh, we need skilled, trained labor. And so what with some of the immigration programs that we have today, those workers come in, but they're not able to stay for a long enough period of time, and what we end up doing is spending too much time training them, and then they have to return. So we're looking for broader numbers of uh, available visas, and uh, we're looking for longer uh, stay times that we can get a one- or two-year use out of employees and really better overall help our labor situation because the other challenge we have with Livestock agriculture in particular is we're located in rural America, and we just don't have the population density that we need to staff these facilities. Terry, has the Department of Agriculture cleared things up for you with this new swine inspection program? I would say they've given us uh, an extension, and the extension is really set to be a one-year extension from as uh, plants had to renew or uh, um, submit an application to get a, an extension. And so they, in that process, they've given a one-year timeline. The part that's a little fuzzy for us right now is those plants were granted that extension at different times. And so I think the question we have right now is, if you were one of the early adapters or early extensions, were you able to, are you going to have an idea about whether you'll get to continue beyond that one-year period prior to the one-year date? Or is the one-year date going to expire and you have to slow the lines back down until a further evaluation about worker safety is completed? So we as producers don't really know. The great concern would be is if we have to slow line speeds back down to like we were last year. Uh, we're not going to have enough harvest capacity. We're in the fourth quarter now. Well, most of those grants were done in the spring. So uh, the the real concern is is we're, we're right up against the uh, – uh, harvest capacity as an industry, and we want to keep every available uh, hook open for as long as possible. The noise is beginning to grow with regard to writing a new 23 farm bill. Uh, Senator Stabenow even suggesting perhaps some 
some hearings before the end of the year. Uh, with regard to the farm bill, I don't know that there is much there for pork producers as for other farmers. But what are the things that are the most important for you as Congress looks to uh, protect its borders and, and also to help you as swine producers either manage risk or maintain health of animals? For us, the key points in the last farm bill for us was uh, funding for our diagnostic labs, and uh, keeping the NOMS lab open, and then also providing a uh, funding that uh, built a foot-and-mouth disease um, vaccine bank. And so what's interesting is foot-and-mouth disease will affect dairy and cattle and, and pigs and sheep as well. So that was a main focus five years ago in the last farm bill. And because of the onset of African swine fever getting to the Dominican Republic, we now have almost shifted away from foot and mouth disease, which in the farm bill, we definitely need to keep focus on that. We need to uh, build our vaccine bank and be supportive of that. The other new addition that we're looking at for the farm bill is because of the threat of African swine fever, uh, many of the farm bill programs that, have, that apply to crops have uh, catastrophic uh, insurance on the cropping side. And so we've asked to incorporate something like that into the current farm bill, that in the event we would have catastrophic loss in the livestock sector, that uh, that would be a consideration in that farm bill. So, Terry, let's suggest that you would have an opportunity to sit at the table with uh, Trade Ambassador Catherine Tai and, and Ag Secretary Vilsack, and perhaps even President Biden would stop in the room. What are the things that you would ask of this administration with regard to trade? Yeah, so as you know, uh, trade is a is a big, big part of our industry, uh, you know, somewhere around 25%, some predict up as high as 30% of our the product we raise in this country is exported. And without open borders and uh, free trade agreements, that would not be possible. There's all kinds of need around the globe for uh, lean protein, and uh, we're certainly trying to help that. This administration and the previous administration had uh, had pulled out of the uh, CPTPP, which is the Trans-Pacific Partnership that uh, multiple countries belong to that opened some free trade agreements. We would really like to see them get back at the table and uh, – open that door again. I know it's a complicated issue. It affects many uh, different products throughout the country, not just agriculture. But between that and Indo-Pacific framework, those two trading opportunities involve multiple countries. You got a global situation because of the war in uh, Ukraine, unfortunately, that's impacting uh, how trade and, and products are moved around the world. So we really would like to see them back at the table and give us an opportunity to move forward in something. But we've we've kind of been at a standstill for a good number of years here on the trade front, and uh, we really we really need it because many of those countries consume products that we don't use in the United States, and it uh, provide, provides a lot of value to uh, not only pork producers but other livestock industries throughout the uh, country. Terry Walters, uh, a pork producer's work is never done, and we thank you for taking time for your schedule to talk to us on this edition of Open Mic. Terry, it is Open Mic, and today you've got the last word. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I I think we covered a lot of the major topics on our uh, front. 
but uh, that are top of mind for producers. One thing I'd like to make sure that uh, we continue to emphasize is African science swine fever is a huge threat to this country. Uh, we need appropriated funds that have been allocated uh, for the Beagle Brigade through Custom and Borders Protection. Uh, those those uh, programs are funded through traveler fees, and uh, because of the reduced travel, we really need to uh, have Congress stay top of mind from that because it really was a huge impact to our economy. If we would get a foreign animal disease of any kind in this uh, country, uh, would be detrimental to the economy, the agriculture industry, which ultimately flows downstream to the uh, consumer. So I want to encourage them to uh, keep that top of mind and uh, particularly travelers, if you would leave the country, that you're very considerate of uh, visiting agriculture areas and uh, not bringing products back from uh, foreign countries. Our thanks to Minnesota's Terry Walters, president of the National Pork Producers Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Kelly.